we are going to, uh, well, we're just, I'm just going to pray again. I love praying. Um, hey, I'm going to grab these words off this too because is this the one, the last song that y'all did by chance? No. All right. Well, I really like that last song uh, just about who Jesus is. Uh, a, a lot of our message today is around that. What are the odds of that, right, as believers, that we would you know, we'd find something in Scripture about the Lord and then talk about him? So but let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to bring your word this morning. Father, I ask that you would uh, pour through me what you would have to, to say to your people this morning, that it will, it'll come out clear, and Father, that, and that hearts would be open to receive what you have for us today. Father, we need you. <laughs> We desire you, and we are grateful for you. Lord, just even as I was preparing this, this message, Father, just the, just the fresh awareness of the gift that we have in Jesus Christ and how lost we were, just doomed to hell, but you. But you loved us so much that you came. You did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and you redeemed us unto yourself. Father, we are so grateful. Father, we thank you for that gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've come to earth as a man and that you redeemed us. Lord, we love you. And Father, we look forward to, Father, we, uh, it is our aim, it is our desire, it is our intentions to continue to grow in relationship with you, Father, to emulate the attributes and character of your Son, but all of that in getting to know you and fellowshipping with you, our Heavenly Father. So, Father, I ask that you would be with me this morning and that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me get a couple of things ready here. I'm going to... I don't have Cornell's big iPad. I thought about bringing like a desktop here or something to say, hey, maybe I should get an iPad. But no, I'm just messing with you. Um, we've got a couple of texts today. Our main text is going to be out of Philippians, uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible, out of Philippians 1. But before we, we, we get into Philippians 1, I want to start out with just the, the question. Of if Paul were to write a letter to our church, to New Covenant Fellowship... What might he say in that letter? We, we, we go throughout the, you know, the New Testament. We've got all these different letters of Paul, and he wrote them to different churches. We're a church. If Paul were to be with us, if he were to even go a little more personal, if Paul was to hang out with you or I for a day, a week, a month, six months, and really get to know the ins and outs of our lives, where we spend our time, where we spend our energy, the motivations and intentions of our heart, what might he put in a letter? And I ask this because uh, this is what he's, this is, right? Paul started these churches and he begins to write letters to encourage these churches, to correct these churches, right? To, uh, to set some things right in the churches. So uh, as I began to study this and really read into it and do some reflecting, wow, if Paul were to write something to me, what might he say? Um, I can offer to you that... Uh, as much as there would be encouragement there, hey, keep doing this and keep doing that, there might be some things that he would say, hey, that's not going to work. That's not authentic. That's not, that's not me. That's not a central focus of the gospel. Uh, so we're going to visit that today. So, but I would like each of us, as we're going through this, as we go through these scriptures and ask these questions, to come back to that single question, if Paul were to write a letter, what would he, what would he be saying to you? Hello. Am I too close? No. Okay. 
So to really reflect on that question, I feel like we need to first define a few terms. One is ask the question of, if you wrote a letter to the church, what is church? So, I mean, we like that word, right? Church, we're part of the church. But really the church is, it's a gathering of, of believers on a, for a singleness of purpose. So the word church in the Greek, it actually means ecclesia. A literal translation would be a called out assembly. So we're a group of people that have been called out from something and then we assemble together, reassemble together with a, under a different banner, a singleness of purpose, right? So for, we're, the, we're the church. So as the church, we gather for the singleness of purpose of under Jesus Christ. So a called out assembly of a particular body of faithful, faith-filled or faith-filled or faithful or faith-filled people. This would be us, the local church. That's you and I. We're, we're, he says, we're two or more gathered in my name. I am there in the midst. So we are, if there's just two of us, when Heather and I get together and pray, guess what? We're having church, right? Guess what? When 50, 60, 70 of us get together, we're having church, right? So, but it just doesn't mean here, right here, this, oh, if you're not at New Covenant, then you're, you're not in the church, right? No, there's the bigger church. There's the community, church, the community of churches here in Stillwater, right? And we can even go all the way out to the state. We can go all the way out to America, the big C church, right? The church of the world, right? There's those that are under the, um, the, with the purpose of following Jesus and making Jesus known that are across the world, right? It's what we, we grieve about. We don't necessarily, I don't know anyone in Afghanistan, but what's going on in Afghanistan and what's going on in different parts of the world, what's going on in Israel, it concerns me because of the persecution of the church, Right? Um, and this, not just the persecution of the church, let me be clear. Just the fact that people are being tortured is a terrible thing. But they're being tortured for what? Because of religious differences, right? And that religious difference is we have a living God, right? And all other religions are in opposition to this living God belief, right? We can believe a lot of different things as long as it's not Jesus Christ, Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ raised from the dead, right? We can believe in anything else as long as it's not that because that, when we, we start talking that, there's conflict, right? There's opposition. So when we talk about the church under the, with the purpose of serving and following Jesus Christ, there, there's conflict, but th- that church, it's a worldwide, but even the ecclesia, it goes beyond even just those across the world. It goes all the way to those that are, have gone before us, right? All the way back to the father of our faith, Abraham. So it's the belief that Jesus is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And I'll come to that here in a second. But it, it's this belief of who, the, of what the, the church is all about. Because the Old Testament prophesied about a Messiah. The New Testament, we find a Messiah, right? Jesus is revealed, and we're, we're all living in that, the beauty and the gift of that today. So the Ecclesia is all those that have gone before us, and all those that may pass and have passed in our lifetime, that there's a day coming that we're all going to be together. So First Thessalonians uh, 4, 16 through 18 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, that's you and I, 
if he were to come today, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I don't think there's anyone here that that's, this is new information to, right? A, a new information or a, a question I want us to challenge, be challenged with is, is that encouraging to us? Right? I know we can get caught up with so many of the cares of this world and just what, what, our, what our lives can so easily get caught up and be about. Do we get lost in what's really motivating us? Is this encouraging to us that there's a day that we're going to get to be with our Lord? And I like the word, I highlighted this word Lord here that he uses twice here in the scripture because, you know, we don't use the word Lord very often anymore. That's not a term that we use. But there's Lords, right? If there's a Lord, then we're, and we're not it, right? We're not that Lord. Then we're something under that Lord, right? If he's the Lord, then I'm the servant of the Lord, right? So our response when our Lord speaks is to do what our Lord says, Right? If he's the Lord, I'm about my Lord's business, right? I'm not doing other people's business. I'm working for the Lord, my Lord. I don't go, right? In the, in the day where there were lords, the servants worked for their Lord. They did the bidding and the, the work for their Lord's house, right? They, they had one authority and it was their Lord and they didn't do what other lords commanded them to do. They did what their Lord commanded them to do. They made business transactions to benefit their Lord, Right? Think of the word we're also called ambassadors as followers of Christ. And if we think about what an ambassador does, an ambassador goes to a foreign land, right? A, a, an ambassador of the United States goes to a foreign land and he does business and represents America on America's behalf, right? He doesn't make decisions that are benefit himself. He makes decisions that benefit the land or the country that sends him, right? Guess what? As ambassadors here, we represent the, the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. And our aim, our purpose, our intention should be to represent our Father's kingdom. Right? He is our Lord. We represent his kingdom. So as we go through this, I want us to keep that in mind. Paul might write, I don't know about you guys, but if Paul was to write me a letter, he might mention something like that. Hey, you're not always representing my Father's kingdom. Maybe, I, maybe I'm doing some things that are setting myself up well or uh, using my position with the Lord we could do to benefit ourselves or well we'll go down that in a minute let me grab some water so we get that we get it we, we see what church is right we see that's a body of believers it's the use of means getting together under this uh, for, uh, under the, the purpose of lifting Jesus Christ up our Lord so the second word that I feel like we need to define is the word faith. What does that word faith mean? We use it. To, it's a Christian term, right? But you get out in the world, and that's not necessarily, it's not a word that we, that you're sitting in a business meeting, the word faith doesn't necessarily come up. Or around the water cooler. Or as you're moving product on forklifts. Whatever your job may be, I don't think the word faith comes up. Faith, according to Oxford's Dictionary, is to have or put complete tr trust or confidence in someone or something, a strong belief and trust in God, being loyal to God. So when we talk about faith, that if we're full of faith, we're putting our full confidence, our trust in God, right? So 
It's not a term that's it's not for everybody, right? And it's stripped out from we can put a faith in a lot of things. People can do that. But our faith as followers of Jesus Christ is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. So for us that are in the faith in Jesus Christ, we would say, or my definition of this is to say, would be to say, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he's going to do. Right? So that, can we, would we agree with that? So that, that's who, that, that's our faith. That's a definition, a good definition of faith in, re, in reference to believers. So in the third term is, who is this Jesus? Right, again, if you're not, if you're not woke, if you will, uh, if, if you're not, if you don't know who Jesus is now, why, who, who cares who Jesus is, right? People mention Jesus often because they can take his name in vain, Right? So when things go bad, we, not we, ideally, uh, we can throw that, we blame Jesus for things, right? We do do that. Not we, but I mean, this does go on in our society. So I want to, this is going to be uh, a little lengthy. This was really a great joy to write this out as I was breaking down who Jesus actually is and not pirating other people's stuff, right? Really having to own through scripture who Jesus is. So here's, here's Johnny Underwood version of who Jesus is. <laughs> who is Jesus. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Do we agree with that? And on any of these things, if we choose to disagree, I'm open and willing, and I'll mention this here in a few minutes, to have this conversation. But we've got to clarify as the body of Christ who Jesus is and our agreement upon that. Our agreement upon it doesn't change who he is. We could all agree to believe the wrong, something wrong about Jesus, but it wouldn't change the truth of who Jesus is. But I'm gonna, we're going to break down here who Jesus is and then from there, we can really kind of check our own hearts. Where are we in Christ? So we can agree that um, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is, the, is God in the flesh. We believe the entirety and inerrancy of Scripture. So there's nothing in that Bible. We don't get to pick and choose or go, wow, that, that seems a little far-fetched. Maybe Paul was exaggerating there. No, we believe what, what the Word says about Scripture. We believe there's a real heaven. We believe there's a real hell. We believe that there's a real devil named Lucifer who is a fallen angel who has been given limited authority here on earth for a predetermined time by our creator God, our heavenly father. And so I'm just going to add here, I didn't put this in my notes. One of the things that we need to, that I feel like we need to say here, just to be reminded of, that the devil is not a deity equal with God, right? He is a created being by our heavenly father, a fallen angel, Right? And God put him, commanded him to this, this what? This dominion for a time and a season, right? So he is not, there are not two deities wrestling for the hearts of man, right? The, the, the hold that, that Satan has or the place he has in our lives is, and we're going to go into this in a minute, is our own sin nature. <laughs> so, but as we surrender and accept Christ, that sin nature in us is put down, and we, the Spirit of God rises up in us, right? And like we would used to listen to sin, and it would have its natural draw on us, that is no longer true of us. We're followers of Christ, we're in Christ, and we live by the Spirit, and like we used to follow along and obey the, the laws of sin and death, we now have this choice, and we're walking out this, this new redemptive relationship in Jesus Christ, and we're drawn to that by the Spirit, so, we're getting there. Scripture says that the devil is the enemy of God and his aim is to deceive God's prized creation, mankind, that's you and me. 
So his aim is deceive, to deceive, right? If you couldn't get to me, if you wanted to hurt me, what would be a way to hurt me if you couldn't get to me? Hurt my kids, right? Go after what I love. I don't advise that. I ask you, please don't do that. But that would be a surefire way, right? As parents here, when your kids are sick, what happens? Life can change really quick, right? We recalibrate our values, what's important, and we start taking care of what's, what's most important to us. Well, to our Heavenly Father, that's you and I. So we, we believe this, and we believe that this is the tactic and the aim of the enemy, of the devil. Scripture states that the devil tempted Eve, and due to the sinful choices of both Adam and Eve, that all men and women conceived via human to human procreation after them would be born with a sin nature. This is all of us, right? We're born. I didn't go look for this. I didn't stumble into a sin nature. I was born with this. And I'd like to blame my parents, but we'd have to keep going back and back and back. And I would end up there with Adam and Eve, right? And I can't trace my uh, 23 and me doesn't go back that far for me. So, but I've got a funny feeling that's where I'm going to find myself if I, if I were able to do it. Scripture further states that the wages of sin that was introduced to us through this lynchage of, sin, of, uh, of choices of Adam and Eve, it leads to death. The, sin, the wages of sin is death. So sin damned us all to hell. I mean, that, that's just a reality, right? A just God demands that there is a penalty for sin, and this, the, the penalty of that is death, eternal separation from God. We acknowledge that man could not and cannot save himself from hell. So God, who loves his prized creation so much, came to earth in the form of a man through immaculate conception to satisfy this just debt of all mankind's sin. The name of this God-man is? Jesus. That's right. So as we sing about Jesus, as you think about what's, where, what we were doomed to, to what we have available to us and what we've now accepted in Christ... There's a place for us that we should be excited, right? There's this literally, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? And many times as we, as we walk this out with the Lord, many times we can get lost in this new life that we do. Has anyone ever come into money? I mean, you used to have no money, and then you've come into some money. Maybe you've got an inheritance. And how just the cares of the world kind of, the things that you used to struggle with, no longer, you no longer struggle with. I've had that great fortune. I had a time in my life that we came into some money and things that used to be struggles for a time were no longer a struggle. It was wonderful. It was like a vacation on someone else's dime. <laughs> so we can easily get caught up like this as believers and we get in our own little bubble of other believers and we forget how the rest of the world is living. And I don't mean, oh my gosh, they're in sin. Just the wages and the weight of sin. Right, because sin has a hold until we have Christ. It's not that I, well, I can choose not to sin. Sin owns me. It's not a question of if I'm going to sin. The question is what sin am I going to do? Because that's our sin nature. Can I get it? Is that, we're all in agreement there? I'm not lost anybody so far? Robert doesn't want to argue? All right, good deal. So scripture states that Jesus... Get back to my, Jesus lived a sinless life. With and through his life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead, he redeemed all of mankind. It's available to everyone. Right? There's, man is without excuse. We have access to Jesus Christ. Romans says that even if they've never heard the name of Jesus, all of nature declares who God is. Man is without excuse. 
So all we have to do is step outside in the dark and go, who or what made this? Right? Since the time of this generous and holy transaction, men and women have had the opportunity, excuse me, the choice to put their faith in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of redemption from our sins. We all have that choice, right? My neighbors have that choice. Well, I have godly coworkers here at church, but your coworkers have that choice. My coworkers have to, we still have to make that choice every day of right, where, what we're going to, where we're going to serve, what we're going to, we're going to serve flesh today. So what is required for any man or woman to receive this gift of redemption is to acknowledge that they are sinners in need of a savior. Right? Here is the, where we, where, right? we can't even awaken ourselves to that. So the Holy Spirit has to awaken us that. It can get so bad, right? One of my, um, when I was in business, somebody sent me a, a really cute employee review and it said, Johnny Underwood has hit rock bottom. <laughs> this was a joke. I didn't really hit rock bottom. <laughs> but he's showing signs of digging. So instead of what we, ideally we hit rock bottom and we look up, right? No, no, no. There are times we can hit rock bottom in our sin and we just keep digging. Romans also talks about there are people that not just do they celebrate sin, but they're looking for new ways to sin. Right? Our sin nature never is satisfied. It's constantly looking for more. You know, it's just, it's always, it's sin, it demands more and more and more. It's a rebellion against God. For us to receive this gift, we have to acknowledge that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We have to profess with our mouth that Jesus is that Savior and then commit allegiance to him, making him the Lord of our life. We're going to come back to that word Lord again, right? We're going to keep seeing this over and over and over. Lord, Lordship, Lord, Lord, Lord. He says, well, we'll get there. (laughs) The transaction guarantees us, when we accept this gift of Jesus Christ, the transaction guarantees us an eternity with, with our Redeemer and, and, and an ever-growing relationship with God until the day that we step into eternity through death or the second coming of Christ, right? We're going, there's a guarantee right now that all of us are going to die, right? Outside of Jesus coming back in our lifetime, no one gets out of here alive. So I don't, I don't know anyone who's, who's, who's beat death. So the question's not if we're going to die. The question's where are we going to spend eternity? Because back into this earlier part of this, there's a real hell, Right? There's a real separation from God. There's a day that this opportunity to receive Christ for all of us will be over. And we're not guaranteed when that time is, right? We're, we're not guaranteed 88 years. So we're, we're not guaranteed a next breath. We're not guaranteed to wake up in the morning. We just celebrated, or say celebrated, we just uh, acknowledged 9 11. There were people. Right, the night of of September the tenth, that had great plans for September eleventh. Right, and families, our, our our nation was turned upside down, the world was turned upside down, but everyone had plans. But we're not guaranteed those things. So, while we have this opportunity, while it's today, the Bible says, take opportunity today. If your heart is being pricked, follow that. Let that, let that sink in. Let that soak and say, man, what is that? If there's something that I just read about who Jesus is and that's challenging to your, to your belief system, let's talk about that because that's the basics of who Jesus is. So, so 
we have one of two options of how we're going to get out of here. We're going to get out of here through death or we're going to get out of here through a resurrection, right? But those that are in Christ, we have an eternity that we get to spend with, spend with him. And that's great, right? We, we've, we know of hellfire and brimstone preachers. It's great that out of fear of hell, let me eng- eng- embrace the cross, right? But we're guaranteed, we're offered even more than that. We're in, the aim of, of, of God was he redeemed us, right, unto himself. John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world. Right? He wasn't talking about the globe. Right? He wasn't talking about the plants and the other things that he created. He was talking about you and I, mankind, his prized possession, that he loved us so much that he came and redeemed himself. He redeemed us unto himself. So there's a place for us. Yes, we're going to have an eternity with him, but there's, we have opportunity to grow and to be in relationship with him right now. That's the, you know, when Jesus, before, when, before his ascension, he said, hey, I will not leave you as orphans, right? His, his, his disciples were used to fellowshipping with him, hanging out with Jesus all day, right? Who's ever, if you've ever lost a dear, a loved one, you know the sadness. Even if you know that you're going to see him again one day, there's a sadness that's there, right? There's a loneliness that's there. What Jesus offered to us in the Holy Spirit, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. Stop what you're doing. Go to the upper room and pray and wait for the gift that I have for you because I won't leave you as orphans. I have a Holy Spirit for you. So yes, you're going to be absent of me, but it's good that I go away because the Holy Spirit, where Jesus could only be with individuals, right? If he was here, he couldn't be here, right? He could command things and we saw him do that, but there was just an absence. If you were out of his presence, you were out of his presence. Because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're now never outside of his presence, right? We literally, our temples, our, our, our mortal bodies are now temples of the Holy Spirit. We house God. That's incredible, Makes me want to go to the gym and work this thing out. <laughs> Just kidding. It makes me want to go to the restaurant and feed it. So my temple needs to be fed at times. So I didn't give you a ton of scripture references for the things that I just read, but I, I, there's a great website that I love called Got Questions. So if you got questions, you can do one of two things. You can go there and just type in in the search bar, who is Jesus Christ? And it's just phenomenal. They do a phenomenal job of breaking down who Jesus is. So please visit there or after church, talk to me, talk to Heather, talk to probably anyone in the room. Just ask your neighbor here, who is Jesus or some other question around this? And we'll try our best to answer that for you. So those are our three terms, church, faith, who is Jesus Christ? We've settled, I believe, those three things. So now I'd like us to go to Philippians. So we're going we're gonna to work through some of the verses. Where is Cheryl? I saw Cheryl a minute ago. She's not here. Cheryl was here Friday night and we were talking about some of this along with Aaron Means online. So they're, they're going to get to hear a little. Maybe they need to hear it twice. Um, so let's remember as we, we climb into Philippians to, to be thinking about the question, if Paul were to write us a letter, what would he say? What would be on his mind to us? So let's jump into verse 1 here. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. Just right off the bat here that Paul and Timothy are describing themselves as servants. Again, if we have a Lord, we have servants. Paul and Timothy are describing themselves, so they're acknowledging who they are. And whose servants they are, we're going to get to, right? It just says there, and to the saints 
in Christ Jesus. So they're, they're identifying themselves as servants of the Lord. And then they're, they're writing a letter to the saints, those that are in Christ Jesus. And to the overseers and the deacons. He says, grace to you and peace from our Lord, our, our God and Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. So he's acknowledging right there. Jesus is the Lord. I'm the servant. We're, I'm writing a letter to talk to you about the Lord and what his expectations are. So he uses two words there, though. Grace to you and peace. So I looked up what grace means. Grace is understood by Christians to be a spontaneous gift from God to his people. A generous, free, and totally unexpected and undeserved gift that takes the form of divine favor, love, clemency, interesting word, and, and a share in the divine life of God. It is an attitude of God, an attribute of, attribute of God that is most manifested in, this, in the salvation of sinners. So when someone comes to Christ, right, we say they're, they're, they're being invited into grace, right? It's grace that draws them. It's, it's a gift of God, right? So we can acknowledge that, that that's grace. So when he uses the word grace here, grace to you and peace from God, this is what he's describing. He's talking about this divine gift. And he uses the word peace. So the peace of God is different from the peace of the world. Biblical peace is more than just an absence of conflict, right? That's what the world is after. You know, all these, these various presidents, right? If we can just make peace in the Middle East, right? They're not looking to bring the peace of God to the Middle East. They're just looking for the absence of conflict, right? And, and over, the, over the different presidencies, a good president was one that in his term of office, there was, no pe- there was peace in the Middle East, right? So... But that's not, this is not what the Bible's talking about when it says uh, peace. It says this peace is taking action to restore a broken uh, situation. It's more than a state of inner tranquility. It's a state of wholeness and completeness. So when God offers us, us peace, he's offering us, he's re, it's a reminder that God's on his throne. Right? So it's not a peace that's dependent upon circumstances or situations. It's a peace that is, it's, settling that, hey, that God's mindful of my situation. He's on his throne and he's doing something. Something, he's, something God's doing something here, right? He, he's not asleep while I'm suffering. He, he's mindful of me and he is, he is, what he's doing is for his good, right? And there's a key thing here because so many times in our cultural Christianity, we have, a, there's, a, there's a belief out there that God works for me and God's about my good, Guess what? That's, that's bad theology. <laughs> it's about God, his definition of good and what he desires to bring about. So, and as we get into this, we're going to see that that's the motivation of Paul's letter. It's not how God can work for me. It's not how he can make my life better. He's going to give me the right numbers to pick on the lottery. He's not going to tell me the best penny stock to invest in so that I have this great life of ease. So I can pay even 10% of that to the church and bless the church from all my abundance, right? While I'm, I can even send that via online, right? While I'm sitting on the beach in Destin, Florida. So praising the Lord for his faithfulness and his goodness to me, right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to Destin, Florida. I'm going to go there here in a couple of weeks. But that is not God's aim is that we live this life of comfort, right? We're living in a day and a time as Christians as followers of Christ, that we're at a time of war, right? 
And this war goes on and on and on. Right? It's, it was gone, going on before I was conceived, and it's going to go on after I'm gone. And as followers of Christ, we've engaged. We didn't just become sons of God, and we don't just become followers of him. We've engaged in a war. And we're saying, I will fight on the, on, on the behalf of my Lord. Yes. Right? But we don't fight flesh. Right? We, these are spiritual battles that we do. So we, we, again, we step away from the flesh and we engage the spirit of God in us as temples and we do business, we do war God's way. So the biblical peace is not something we can create on our own. It's a fruit of the spirit. God is the source of peace and one of his names is Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is my peace. Again, it's not circumstantial situation. It's not situations that change. It's that I'm resting in who God is and he is, my, he is my peace despite whatever the circumstances. So when Paul says this, grace and peace from God, our heavenly father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what he's reminding them of. That's what he's offering them. He's bringing them back to that place, right? It's not about your situation. It's about who God is. So, and that's just in the introduction there to, uh, of who God is are in this letter. So these are things that I've just kind of blown by as I've read Philippians over and over again or in Paul's other letters. And as I started breaking them, these things down word by word, scripture by scripture, it's like, oh my goodness, there's so much here. I can't even get past the first three verses. You know, if Heather were to write me a letter and say, my beloved, I love you. And she could write all these other things, but I could just linger there for, for days if I wanted to, right? Just the various ways that Heather loves me. Right? And the, the just, I could just be consumed from line after line of that letter if I chose to, if I really took it and I, if I owned it. Right? And that's what we get to do here with Paul's letters. He says in verse 3, I thank my God in, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. For you are all making my, my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. And I am, I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So one of the things that I see here is that Paul, as he's writing this letter and he's written all these other letters, is Paul has a singleness of purpose, right? He is starting churches. He's evangelizing, right? He is sharing the gospel of who Jesus is. And let us not forget who Paul was or who, who he was. He was Saul, right? He was this very, um, he was a Pharisee, right? He was very knowledgeable of the Torah. He knew the ways of God in the Old Testament. And then he has this encounter with, with, with God or with Jesus, right? Uh, on the road to Damascus. And he has this, this experience that just absolutely transforms his life. He went from knowing of God to having this encounter with God, right? And this relationship with Jesus takes off. So we see that. So as when Paul has this encounter, right, it, it transforms his entire life. He starts living his life for the singleness of purpose, right? To know God and to make him known. He, be, he gets the heart of God and he begins to love what God loves, right? And as we read in these letters, when he's chastising and correcting, he also, he hates what God hates. And he's calling people back or maybe for the first time, not even back, 
to, to righteous living defined by, by God, not compared to society. Like, well, I'm doing better than these people, and I'm doing better than these people. But according, we're never going to stand before other people, right? We don't get to, we don't get to win in the, the, the courts of public opinion right on that day. We're going to stand before Jesus, or we're going to stand before God. And I think the million-dollar question that we're going to be asked is, what did you do with my son? Right? It's, well, let me tell you what my neighbor was doing. I was justified in my response to him or, or this, or everybody cheats on their taxes, you know, or, or, or whatever. Everyone finds the loophole and, the, and I lived in the gray zone. No, we're going to stand before Jesus and there is a, there's a righteous standard that we're, going to be, that we're called to. And Paul is reminding them of this in the letter. But what I, what I love about Paul here is that he is, he's unwavering in his purpose, in his mission, Right? He, it's, he sees, and we're going to get into this, where he, he's going to suffer, right? And he doesn't say, well, well I'm, this looks like it's going to be painful, so let me walk away. This looks like it's going to cost me something. Let me see. Uh, maybe God's called me to something else. You ever been called away from pain? <laughs> no. Yes, we have, right? Um, we've been tempted to. So we get into verse 7 here. It says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Remember what grace is. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For, it is God, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that, you love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and, and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. So in that day of Christ, he's referring to the day that Christ is going to return, right? Because guess what? 2,000 years ago, they thought he could come any day. Guess what? We need to be living today like he could come any day. Right? We've got to live that way. We've got to be thinking this way. We've got to live with that motivation. So I like what we see in verse 7 here. It says, he refers to, let me get back down to seven. It's good that he feels this way about these people, right? Who are these people? These, these are the Philippians, people of Philippi. He loves them, right? He's invested there. He's gone there. He has started a church there. And now he's writing a letter and he's checking on them. And so the question that I have here is, who do we feel this way about? If Paul were to write me a letter... He might ask me, hey, who are you that passionate about? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you investing the gospel in? Do you love your neighbor that much? Really, I think the question is, is do I love the Lord enough to climb out and maybe be ostracized, maybe be identified as a Bible beater or another, oh, just one of those Christians, those, those, those crazy people, <laughs> right? Um, but really asking that question, is there, are there people that we were that passionate about? Do I really, the question is, do I love people that much? Because guess what? Someone not believing the truth doesn't change the truth, right? Someone can say, I don't believe in gravity. But you know what? I would encourage them to step off the curb before they step off the side of the building. Because their belief is not going to change the truth of gravity is real. Right? In the same way, hell's a real place. Right? We really have a sin nature. And really a just God really demands a righteous 
penalty for, for sin. When he calls me guilty, right, he's, he's not lying. I'm guilty. And I need to embrace that reality. Right? That's this transformation. For that to, tra- to transform me, uh, there has to be an ownership of my guilt, right? Before I'm ever going to go to chemo, if I were to have cancer, I've got to embrace the reality I have cancer. Or otherwise, I'm like, ah, who needs that, right? But if I come to realize and accept that I have cancer, I'm going to start doing some different things to change, right? Because I want to live a little longer, right? I may change my eating habits or my work environment or whatever we need to change for me to beat cancer. Well, in the same way, when I embrace that there is, there's a righteous God and the way that I'm living is not pleasing to him and the way that I'm living is going to separate me from him for eternity and I'm going to live eternity in hell. When I accept that reality, guess what? There's this panic that kind of goes on. Like, just like if you were to have cancer, right? Oh my God, who will save me from this life of sin, right? Paul's words. And we have to have that. We have to have that reality, that reality check of, oh my goodness, if I were to die in this moment, I'm going to split hell wide open. And that's not because God is bad. It's because he's just, right? And in, in a just, when the gavel were to drop, the, a just God, a good judge would acknowledge that my sin and a just God would give me a just penalty, right? How many times when we see evil, we go, we want justice, right? We want, we want evil to be put down. Well, guess what? In this place, we are, we have that evil in us. And a just God will, put, will send us he will give us the right, the right judgment and separate, we will be separate from him for eternity. Right? So in that moment, oh my God, what can I do? What must I do to be saved? Right? And then we loop back into who Jesus is. Right? So there's a place here that we have to be willing and really assess who do I, who do I not love enough to share Jesus with them? It's not who do I love enough to share. I've had people do heinous, evil things to me. Right? From my childhood to maybe not heinous things in the last week, but you know, frustrating things. But um, any of those experiences that I've had, as, as bad as some of them are, I, I couldn't, with, I, with my own heart, I couldn't send them to hell. I, I don't, I mean, as much as I've, I've had to work through some forgiveness, there's no one that I hate that I would be willing to send to hell. So that person who has sinned so greatly against me, I still, there's a heart of God in me that still would want them to know Jesus. Right? Is there anyone on your list that you would say, hey, no, I would be willing to send that person to hell? If so, we should talk. <laughs> because that's not, um... <laughs> what'd you say, Robert? <laughs> Just thinking out loud there, Okay. So there's a place for us that we should love what Jesus loves, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that we begin to, we, as we acknowledge that he is the Lord, we begin to take on the, the desires, the passions, the heart of our Lord, right? We do business on our Lord's behalf. I know what he values and I begin to value it, right? I've told my kids over the years, hey, that's not what the Underwoods do. This is what we value, right? So as we acknowledge that God is our father, we begin to own his values and they become our values. We begin to invest where he invests. We begin to separate ourselves from what we see that Christ separating himself from. 
So we go on to, uh, let's go on to verse, oh, let's keep going to verse 12 here. The advancing of the gospel. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And are much more bold to speak the word, that's the word of God, without fear. So, as we look into that right there. We see that Paul, he's excited about something. Paul's in prison here. Right? I've spent a few days in jail before and I can tell you it wasn't pleasant. Okay? It wasn't... I didn't look forward to that like I'm looking forward to these, these, little, these other little trip options that, that, that are available to us. But Paul's excited about this because he sees this as an advancement of the gospel. And what is the gospel? We, we've heard that term a few times. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, right? So Paul has got this excitement about him, about this advancing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave Paul got a hold of that and he says, wow, who can I go give this to? Who, who needs this, right? And it's crazy because we've got Paul who is a Pharisee. He is, you would think that Paul would be sent back to the, to the uber knowledgeable, right? Those who have the Torah, who can rightly divide the word of God, right? No, he sends him to the, to the Gentiles. That's right. Those that go, what's the Torah and why should I care? Right, and then he sends these fishermen. He sends these, um, these not so knowledgeable, right, men back to live and to to work, do the work of ministry back to the to the, if you will, the Pharisees to the to the Jews, right. So it's clearly God's ways are not our ways. I would send my smartest guy to the smartest people. <laughs> Nothing against the fishermen, but I would send the fishermen to the Gentiles, right. Put my not so battle ready to do the battle, right? So, but that's not what God does. But Paul sees this as an opportunity to advance the gospel. And I just ask the question: Is that a motivation of ours? Do we is our aim to to advance the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Has He done something in your life? Has He is there something that He's done in your life as you look back upon your story? And you look at what he's done, where you were headed, what your life was about, the emptiness of it, the, 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 the damage of sin in your life, and you see what Jesus has done for you. Is there good news there? Have we embraced the good news of Jesus Christ? And are we passionate about that? Are we willing to share that good news with others, right? Because we don't have the corner on this. It's not a piece of pie and to share it is to, for me to give... Francis, some pie of this is means I'm going to get less of it, right? He, he's available to all of us, and it's, it's un, what, what he has is unmeasurable, right? There's not a limit on who God is. It says that we're going to live in eternity with him, and we're never going to, it's never going to be revealed the f- totality of, of who God is and his love for us. So you think about that outside of just the concept of time, that we're going to continue just to discover the goodness of God and, and his love for us. So it's not limited, 
right? So we can share it. And ask the question, can we, are we living our lives or will we challenge ourselves to live our lives to see that what we've been, the gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ that we've received, that we're willing to give it away, to advance it, to share it with others, right? And hence this, the challenge of if someone makes you walk one mile, you walk with them too. Well, wow, guess what you could probably talk about on that second mile? While you're willing to go the second mile when you don't have to, right? When we're willing to turn the other cheek, well, most people, when, they, 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 when I cuss at them, they cuss back at me. <laughs> but you're not. What's different about you? Right? It's not always what we say. Sometimes it's what we don't say. So it's not always what we do. It's sometimes what we don't do that speaks volumes. So, which leads me to, how do we witness? Right? Uh, I don't have a box by the door and I'm going to get everyone 10 tracks and ask them to give everyone a track. It, you know, walk the streets and give them to their neighbors. It's not that. It's with our mouths, what we say and what we don't say. Here's a big one that, I mean, God's used in my life and I've, I've literally, I've said to the Lord, Lord, I'm so tired of saying I'm sorry. When I have to go to my neighbor <laughs> and say I'm sorry. I, I profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ and I didn't represent him well today. Over and over again. I've had to do that with coworkers, employees, different things over my life. But guess what? It speaks volumes. I've heard on more than one occasion, you're the first Christian that's ever come and apologized to me. And I said, well, I'm sorry that other Christians haven't apologized to you. I'm sorry that other, other Christians have sinned against you. <laughs> but it, that's a reality. Part of our witness is going back and righting wrongs. Right? That's part of just the testimony of who Jesus is. When we ask others for forgiveness, when I sin against my wife, do I go, ah, she's my wife, she'll take it? No, I go back and I say, Heather, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Please forgive me, right? I'm getting in right relationship back with Heather and with my God when I do that. That's part of that. And as Heather and I do counseling, we share that with other couples, right? This is part of that walking in oneness. We have to repent to each other. So that, do we walk that out with our brothers and sisters in Christ? It's part of the testament. It's part of maturing in our faith that we're able and willing to go back and make things right and restore relationship. We witness with our actions, what we do and what we don't do, with our attitudes and our disposition. Right? Anyone here, I'm sure, because we're a very holy and sanctified people that we've never had attitudes and dispositions. And I won't share a personal story. I'll share one of Heather's. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. But our attitude and our disposition can speak volumes, right? In situations of, wow, the, the boss just gave us bad news. What do we do, right? It's not because life is perfect. It's because we have peace. There's a grace. There's an awareness that God is with us in the midst of this, that he saw that day, whatever that day of bad news is, and he still called it good. So he's somewhere in the midst of my story, and I just need to keep reading and flip the page and see how the story ends, right? The loss of a job is not the end of my life. <laughs> so um, the, the loss of a loved one is tragic, and that is, it's not the end of the story, that we're still, there's still hope, there's still, God's still doing things, right? When, when someone passes, it's in the Lord, Right? We grieve because we miss that person. But guess what? And I don't encourage you to say this to someone who's lost someone immediately. But we will see that person again. The grieving is for us. 
right? That person is with the Lord. It's for us. And we, we gather around. The Bible says to mourn with those that are mourning, right? That we mourn with those when we have loss. But that's what we're experiencing, right? But there's a day that we're going to celebrate with that person again. If, right, that person's in Christ. So our aim for our loved ones is that they're in Christ. So different ways that we um, witness. We, work, we witness with our work ethic. Have you ever worked with someone who, with their mouth, they profess the Lord, but in their work ethic, you really bring it into question? <laughs> so, yeah. With what we approve and what we don't approve of. I think about this, I'm, I'm, I'm sure none of us are attached to, to this thing called Facebook or Twitter. But what we put our locks on, what we post, right? That's another one here. What is, if, if someone were just to go down my Facebook post or my Twitter shares or whatever your media outlet is, what would your, what would your content say about your walk with the Lord? Do you love what he loves? And I, I, I'm telling you, this is my own struggle at times because I can get caught up in it, in confession. Because it's so easy to get caught up with the cares of this world, right? To can you believe, right? Because when I get my eyes off the Lord and I start comparing myself to man, some men I say, well, I'm, I'm doing so much better than that person. I feel pretty righteous. And I can feel so much worse than this person, right? But in all of that, I'm lost in, in either ditch, right? Because Christ is that one, and is my Lord, is he approving of what I'm posting? Is he approving of what I'm lacking? And then the, to me, the most powerful thing that we have to witness is, is our personal testimony. If you're here and you know Jesus, then you have a pre-Jesus story. Right? So when I get to engage someone around their story, this is one of the great things I love. I ask them to write out, write out your story. Because that's your testimony. That's, there is an audience of people that only you can reach in your sphere that can identify with you. They, they, whether they were part of your story and you go back and you share your story with them of why you're different. Or it's someone who can identify with your story when you share your testimony of how God has transformed your life. So those are just some basic ways that we can share the truth of who Christ is. And we're called to do that, right? We're invited to do that. It's, it's a byproduct of being in love with the Lord, right? Have you ever seen, uh, I won't say even just newlyweds, but a, a couple and they're, they're, uh, they're newly dating and they're just, they're just really enamored with each other. Anyone's ever seen that? Husbands and wives, y'all remember those days? Like they were yesterday, Heather. Today, that's right. So there's this place, there's that level of affection that we can have with the Lord, right, as we fellowship with him. It's not just the newness of the relationship. Yes, there is a newness in the relationship. But guess what? Like, like, a, like a marriage, right, we go from dating to, I don't like the word courtship, but into a, to really kind of separating from all others and really focusing. And then you get into marriage, right? And then we've all heard this, oh, the honeymoon phase, right? Or they can do no wrong. 
right? Oh, it's cute when they leave the toilet seat up. And I don't care. I love toothbrush splashes on the mirror, you know? And in the midst of them, he wrote, I love you. What, a, what an angel, right? And that phase goes, right? And we really kind of get down to the nuts and bolts of marriage, right? We begin to mature. And the things that used to be cute aren't so cute anymore, right? And we now have to start dying to, to various things, I won't go down that list. Our marriage is perfect. Okay. (laughs) But we do this with the Lord also. We begin to mature in this relationship with him. All the way to the point that, like in marriage, we begin to suffer for each other. Right? That we're willing to spend ourselves for the other. Right? It's not a, hey, carry your own weight. It's, It's my joy. Right? I, I love spending myself. I say this about men, and if you're a single guy here, I'm kind of painting my own kids here. I don't believe for a man, a male, that life really starts for a man until he gets married. And then it really kicks into gear when he has, has kids. Because I can tell you this, at the age of 29 when I got married to Heather, I didn't realize how selfish my life was until I started to start spending my, my life on someone other than me. And then when we had Abby, it was like, ooh, where'd my business partner go? Where did my accountant go, right? All these places that where we were both working towards something and it began to, I was doing things that I was no longer getting to do with my playmate, my coworker, the love of my life, right? It was, I began to spend myself without Heather and she was spending herself on our family in some areas without me. We were both working, but we were working to a common thing rather than always just literally getting to work together. So there's a place I believe for, for men and I don't, I'm not, I'm, Maybe this is true of women too. I don't know. I've never walked a day in those shoes, those, those heels. Um, but I know for me, I believe that, those, that life really starts at that place. And that's up until that point that we're, as parents, we're de- I'm developing my sons. We're developing our sons for that day. That they, A, they see that in their, in their father, ideally, in their, in their parents. And then that we're preparing them for that day to spin themselves on someone else. And where do we get this concept? This is what Jesus did, right? This is what Jesus did for his bride, right? So he loved his bride and loves his bride to the extent that he was willing to step off into something that cost him everything. So that's our call. That's the invitation for us to, to follow in the, the, the footsteps of Jesus there. So let's get back. Let's, we're going to go over to 16 here. Let me see the time here. He says, some, some indeed preach Christ from envy and right, but others from the good, from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So there are people, no one, no one here is balking at that, that Paul is there and he's there for the defense of the gospel. It's like... He, he's been strategically placed. It says that he is, he's been sharing the gospel with the imperial guard. Anyone else here have access to the imperial guard? How would one get access to the imperial guard in Paul's day? That's right. Paul goes in like a spy, right? <laughs> I'll go in as a convict and I'll have access to the whole imperial guard. Right? And it's an interesting thing because you, guess what? I find myself in times when I'm in these moments of suffering that I can have some real woe is me pity parties. (laughs) But that's not what we find Paul doing here. 
Paul sees himself strategically placed in a less than ideal situation. And he's looking for creative ways to share the gospel, the good news, right? So I just challenge us as we're stepping off. If Paul was to write us a letter, would he look at some of my challenging situations and maybe see it differently than I do? Would he see that this is an opportunity? This is an opportunity to press in, to share the gospel, right? To live something different. I think of a time where Paul and Silas are in prison and they find themselves in a worship service. I can tell you, I've had a hangnail and I don't worship over it, okay? (laughs) Forget prison. I can get hungry and get hangry. (laughs) Right? I don't find myself, I I don't emulate this as a, on a regular basis, right? I need to be woke to this. I need to recalibrate my life and say, wow, instead of seeing problems, do I see opportunities? So this is what Paul was seeing. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, not out of sincerity, but thinking to, to afflict me in my imprisonment. He says there in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In these difficult situations, when we find ourselves in conflicts, when we find ourselves in troubled times, do we find ourselves rejoicing? Or do we find ourselves in pity parties? Saying, hey, this is not the gospel I signed up for. Where's the wealth? Right? Where's the healing? Where's the, where's the American dream, right? This cultural Christianity that's supposed, everything's supposed to just be perfect. Where's the perfect health? I'm supposed to be healed. I'm supposed to be immediately delivered from these addictions. Right? I'm supposed to have, I'm supposed to be popular. I love Jesus. I'm supposed to be the cool kid in youth group. I'm supposed to be accepted by my community. But that's not the gospel we signed up for, right? And we see this with Paul as we go on. (laughs) He says, yes. I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I love his definition of deliverance here. As it, as it, it is my eager expectation and, a hope, and hope that it will not be at all, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Come again? <laughs> what do you mean by my life? He's, I'm, I'm, he has a different definition of his deliverance than I do, right? <laughs> I'm suffering through five days a week trying to get to the weekend. That's my deliverance is Saturday, Sunday, right? Before I go back to the grind of work. Not working here, of course, but previous places of employment. <laughs> so, but you know how we can get in that mindset, right? Just, you know, the, the hardest five days of the week are Monday through Friday before I can get back to living for me again. Right? Because your employer wants you to be about doing bid, the bidding of the, your employer, right? So in the same way, Christ wants us to be about his business, right? But Paul has here, he's talking about what deliverance looks like for him. Is whether in his life or his death. For, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, to stay in this body, that means fruitful labor for me. I like that. He sees that if he's to live, it's to be fruitful labor. 
what's he laboring for? The fulfillment of the gospel, to share Jesus Christ. Yet, which, shall, which I shall choose, I cannot, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Do we see, as we look into Scripture, are we challenged? Do we see that walking with Christ and parting from this world is to be far better? I've got the great benefit of getting to spend quality time with Dale. You know what I hear often? I'm 88. I'm ready to go see the Lord. But God's not done with him, right? Dale's had this um, prophecy over him that his latter days are going to be greater than his former days. Dale wakes up with expectation, what can I do for the kingdom today? And I, I, not out of a, um, not to bring condemnation, but I can tell you, to invite conviction, I have to ask myself at times when I'm around Dale, Lord, am I living that way? Do I have that same passion? Am I, am I passionate about what you're passionate for? Or am I just treating you like a genie bottle? Am I praying for you to give me what it is that I want and I really don't, I'm really not after what you want. And now there's a place for us, again, if we ask the question, if Paul were to write a letter to me, what would that letter say? I can tell you, there are times that that letter from Paul would have said, love what Jesus loves. Get your eyes off yourself. Engage the world for Jesus Christ. Look at what really has value. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. The progress and the joy in the faith. He is so excited about moving it forward. That's progress, right? And there's joy in it. It's not a, well, I got to go mow the yard. You know, it's not, he's not begrudging the task that's before him. He's excited about it. So he says, so that in me, so that in me you may have amp caused to glory in Christ Jesus because my coming because of my coming to you again only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ I like that that worthy of the gospel of Christ is there am I living in such a life in such a way that my life is worthy of the gospel right this Again, think of, of, of debt. If I had all this debt and someone came in and they paid that debt for me, do I go back and I just go bury myself in debt again? Or do I live a life that's worthy and it, it, my life says, thank you for digging me out of somewhere I couldn't dig myself out of? Where, how am I living my life from a place of worthiness? Right? Not, again, in bondage, but in gratitude. I'm so grateful. Jesus, I'm so thankful. He says, and I'm finishing up here, so that whether I, where did I go here? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
Guys, there's some places that we're supposed to be working together in some things, right? As the body of Christ, we don't just gather on Sunday. We're working together on Monday and on Tuesday and Wednesday. When we get on the phone, we're encouraging each other in this singleness of purpose that we're all in, in this gospel, this advancement of the gospel, right? That we're challenging each other in that. How are you going? How is your mission field at work going? How are things going with your extended family? How are the things going wherever you find yourself, right? That you've got this mission and we're encouraging each other in that. And not frightened in any, in anything by the opponents. There's an opponent out there, right? We've acknowledged that there's an enemy out there. So, but we're not frightened in that, right? We know the end of the story, what Christ has done for us, he's done once and for all, right? So what can it cost me that's going to, to take away that eternity? Nothing. So I, I don't live in fear of hell any longer. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. That's an interesting thing, right? We see this with Jesus, right? As he's standing before Pilate, right? This guy has the power of life and death of the, natural, of the, of the mortal vessel of Jesus, right? But Jesus doesn't quake in his boots. He just talks to him, right? And he says, you wouldn't have even me in the position that you're in, except my heavenly father's put you there. So do we, instead of living in fright and fear, do we just stand because we know whose we are and we know the end of the story, right? There's a confidence. And it says here, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, right? There's something... Something undoing, uh, undoing at times when someone's super confident, right? You're like, man, what has this guy got? As a guy, when I wasn't serving the Lord, I would find myself in fights. And I, you can read somebody. And the guy who didn't, who didn't, I, he, I didn't lose his gaze when I told him what I was going to do to him, right? I go, oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe I've climbed off into something I shouldn't have here, right? There's a confidence that we should have in Christ, that we don't waver in, that doesn't, we don't come at it arrogantly like, hey, you're going to hell and I'm not. Right? But there's a confidence of the assurance that we have that Paul has here that, hey, for me to part from earth is to be one with Christ. I'm no longer, I'm not afraid of dying. If anything, I'm looking forward to it. It's to your good that I don't go. So, and that is not to shame others, but it's, there's just that reality, right, of conviction. It's, not to go into mine and Heather's story, but there's a place where there was a peace that I had in the turmoil that we were both going through when we were, when we were, before we started dating. And there was an assurance that I had of this relationship with the Lord that Heather didn't have at the time. And there was a confidence of this. We were both going through miserable things, but there was a peace that I had. Guess what? When we're in Christ, there's a peace that we have that the world doesn't know. Amen. Right? They're slaves to something that we're no longer slaves to. And we're free of that. So we're going to finish up right here in this last scripture here. It says, For it has been granted to you for, your, for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I don't know what gospel you signed up for, but this gospel that Jesus provides for us, that Jesus is the center of, there's suffering involved. And I can offer to you, I've done a lot of suffering in life, but mainly it's been because of my foolishness. <laughs> There's a suffering for the gospel that we're called to, that we're invited into. And I would just invite you to look into that and say, wow, 
Where can I suffer? And if you'll read through the book of Ephesians, we get to a place where Paul says, he counts the rest of his life as, as dung, right? So that he may partner with Christ and partner with Christ in suffering. That seems different than a lot of gospel that's out there. Engage, excuse me, for Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So there's a place for us to engage in suffering. And we see that we see this in Paul. Paul did this, right? He didn't shuck the, uh, the idea of suffering. We hear from Jesus who says, pick up your cross and follow me, right? And he takes it to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he dies for us. There's a place for us to engage the true Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and say, hey, I'm willing to suffer. What's it going to cost? Is it going to cost me relationships? Is it going to cost me peer groups? Is there, there are certain circles I'm not going to get to run around in? Maybe, I, I, maybe, I, maybe it costs you um, isolation from family members. Right? Just because... Uh, your family doesn't make you, Jesus said, who are my mother and my brother? Those who do the will of my father. So there's a place that it's going to cost us something. And are we willing for it to cost us something? And I would just challenge, as we, as I close here, just think of that. If Paul was to write you a letter, what would he say? Where are we living from? I don't know about you, but I, I want to live from this place of the cross, of the gift that was afforded to me. This, I, I know the life I had without him. I, I know how lost I was, or, or at least the, the, I probably don't know how lost I was by the grace of God. But, I know where I was living and I know what I was doing and I know the, the lack of peace that was there and the emptiness that was there. And the trying to fix it on my own, the desperateness of trying to fix it on my own. Guess what? Everyone, not anyone, everyone who doesn't know Jesus, they're living there. You know the greatest, I mean, there's lots of great gifts of Jesus. One of the greatest gifts I have in this relationship with Christ is going to bed, put my head on the pillow, and having peace. I can tell you for a lot of years, I didn't go to bed at, with peace. I medicated myself to sleep. I did a lot of things not to have to be alone. But the gift of Jesus, I can go to bed at night with peace. I'm assured of my salvation I know what I'm called to and I'm willing to spend myself for the one who spent himself for me. And I just invite you guys to think of that letter and engage that conversation with the Lord. And I'm a big fan of writing. So as the Lord talks to you, write it out. What would Paul say? Right? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And then own that. Make the changes that are needed. If there's places to repent, repent. If there's people that you need to forgive, forgive. If there's people you need to seek forgiveness from, do it. 
Ask God to give you a heart for what, really to give you his heart, that we, we would love what he loves. And we would go after what is so precious to him. Because guess what? People not believing doesn't change the truth of it, right? Depart from earth is we're going to be one with God for a moment or for an eternity. Let's love what he loves. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, we come before you this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for what your word, where it leads us, Father. It leads us to you. Thank you for this gift of relationship that we have, that we find ourselves in through Jesus Christ. We thank you for his gift, Father. Father, let us never forget. Father, that we ourselves, Father, have been lost. And that we didn't find you, that you found us, Father. And that, Father, you invite us, Father, you invite us into relationship. And in the maturing of that relationship, we find ourselves loving what it is that you love, Father. And that, Father, you would give us creative ways to share the gift of you, the gift of Jesus Christ, with those around us that you also love. And that, Father, that we would commit ourselves to ridding our lives of what is not pleasing to you, that we would be like Paul and Father, that our aim, our life mission would be to advance the gospel, to share Jesus Christ, that we would share the living relationship that we have with you, Father, that can only be found through the gift of Jesus Christ, that we would live from that place, that we would love from that place, Father, we thank you for it. And Father, as, our, as we go home today, Father, I ask that you would just speak to us, that, Father, you would bring us to where we need to be with you, Father. If it's just an encouragement, again, think of that letter, Father. Father, there are places I'm sure that you want to encourage us in what we're doing, that we're doing well, Father. But, Father, we're also asking that you would sanctify us. And, Father, we would be recalibrated and that we would, we would know what it is, that Father, that, uh, that we need to be corrected, that we need to be um, set right and be reminded to, to live from a place of passion for you, Father. And Father, we, we invite you to bring us back to our first love, Father. And Father, we're reminded of where we've come from and that feeling and that experience of when we grasp the gravity of that we are no longer bound for hell, but we have an eternity with you. And not just an eternity with you one day, that we get to have this wonderful gift of relationship with you today. So Father, I thank you for that. I ask that you would go before us as we go throughout this week. And Father, that you would remind us of your words this morning and we would live from that place. And Father, we would aim to know you and make you known. We ask all this in the great name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you, Lord.